0: I'm Ian Pringle and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty. Where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll break from our usual format to feature a one-off interview with a legend in the loyalty industry. I first met my guest tonight back in my AirMiles days where representatives from each of the AirMiles brands would meet up in Toronto to compare notes and experiences. The things that I remember most from these trips was debating the next best thing in loyalty or seen my guest tonight performing his version of the Caterpillar at the Mariah Carey gig. <laughs> you might remember that. guy. <laughs> so it's my pleasure tonight to welcome our guest in today's podcast is Brian Pearson, author of The Loyalty Leap and previous president of Loyalty One. Hi, Brian, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Ian. So happy to be here. Favourite topic? Well, you certainly look like you've got
1: better weather than me. I understand you're in Arizona at the moment. I am. I'm spending a bit of time down here, but it is back to the cold north uh, in short order. So I will be uh, back home and, and suffering similar ills of weather. <laughs> Brilliant.
0: And and I'm in the dark cold of uh, of, of London. Um. So as your career has, has included so many dis- different aspects of loyalty, I want to take a chance to explore a few paradoxes and contradictions within the loyalty industry and within your career to date. So. To get us started, I just want to explore a Paradox, which is your path into loyalty industry, which is an unusual one, because you started off with a medical degree, I understand, and then ended uh, up in loyalty. So how did, how did that happen, Brian?
1: Yeah, I, not quite a medical degree. I effectively did the first half of medicine uh, because I did an undergraduate degree in, in specialty in biochemistry and microbiology. And so uh, I was always entrepreneurial, running my own businesses. And while I loved science and the rigor of science, I... Um, I really was far more interested in business as a career, went to business school, ended up in marketing and, uh, and very quickly got to the point where I, uh, I was missing something, you know, as a marketer, I was missing something. And it was that element of, of that you have in science, which is test and control, this ability to to effectively have a control group that you're not affecting a change to and another group which you are and then being able to quantify what the lift in performance or change in behavior or change in attitudes would be. Um, and so that that's fundamentally in where uh, I stumbled first upon direct and database marketing uh, and then evolved much deeper into the database side of things and then wound my way into loyalty and and was one of the early uh, pioneers in that air miles space, looking at coalitions, the data and information that we we're gathering and uh, and really thinking about, oh my goodness, you know, the value here isn't the promotional quality of of the the loyalty program itself. The value is the insights and the measurement capability. And I think since then, I've been a proponent of what I love to call measured marketing. So that's something I've always been very passionate about, but that's the roots of it. Yeah, I think
0: in that way we think we share a similar background because my background is a petroleum exploration, actually, which is probably a good industry not to be in right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I mean, if we if we turn the clock back, kind of 20, 25 years for me, then the the superstars, the kind of rock stars of marketing, were the likes of Saatchi and Saatchi, and yes. people. It was it was about advertising with marketing, a small M, wasn't it? Whereas now measurement is where it's at. We, we've sort of science has. has good for both of us i think
1: yeah well it's it's uh you know everybody everything's migrated down the path of data and information um and i think there's many drivers i mean if you remember the old terminology and some of our younger listeners might not remember i don't even know these are used anymore but above the line and below the line marketing and we lived in the i think it was the below the line marketing um above the line was all the advertising as you say and uh and yeah, I think the combination pack of data and information and, and computational capability in combination with the uh, channels that have evolved over time uh, have jointly conspired to effectively, I think, push a lot of things below line. Even the advertising that's being done is being done in a very targeted manner through um, whatever vehicle they can obtain to say Ian might be interested in buying a a sousaphone or something. I think that's a trombone. I don't know, actually know. But uh, that Ian might be interested in buying that because he searched it. And so, you know, that's where all the search marketing is is basically coming from.
0: And I always say to people, it's the w- w- very early one in our podcast was why loyalty is an industry. And I think hmm. we're both saying here that, you know, it's the best job. I think it's the, the head of loyalty with the best job in British Airways, the best job in Tesco, the best job in say, you know the big brands, because you've got the finger on the pulse of customers and also what you do about that as well.
1: Yeah, and, and I would, you know, have to completely agree with that statement. It's, uh, uh, I don't know today how you operate in a marketing capacity without really um, tapping into those data sources and having, you know, it'll be a little like flying an airplane at night with no instruments in my view. Once you've, once you've crossed over to the other side and been able to have that drip treatment of continual feedback on, on what's happening with your customers, where they're going. The key, I think, in there, Ian, though, is, is that it does tell you what's happening, but it doesn't always tell you why they're doing it. And so there is this whole exploratory sort of research element, which still needs to be part of the equation. Um, but I think, you know, you're, you're so much better informed around what's happening from a trends and, and behavior standpoint within the business that it's, you know, it would be terrifying to go for me to go back to an environment where it was the old school marketing I learned at the Quaker Oats company for the first three years of my marketing career.
0: And that actually that's a link to the next paradox really. So in, in your book, The Loyalty Leap, one of the sort of pillars of that argument is your concept of enterprise data and the fact that mm. so few companies use the most of their data. That book was your book was written back in twenty twelve. You know, where do you think we are now as a as an industry, as a retail industry? Do you think they're still making the most of the data that's available?
1: Uh, I, I, like, I love to quote Dickens when I get this question, right? The tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> and I think that we still are operating a little in that construct. Um, have we migrated and have we moved towards this vision of enterprise loyalty and the idea of a single data source, which really represents and gives you the critical insights you need to into customer? I'd say that a lot of companies are, have moved dramatically down that that uh, curve, let's say. Uh, and then the second piece is, are they using the information to inform uh, and really to think about how they they move from just driving behavioral loyalty to driving what I called emotional loyalty in the book, um, but this sort of deeper engagement. And I would see say there that we have a range of marks. I mean, there's some players out there who might be very good Um, and then there's a lot of players out there who are just defaulting to, this is just another mass channel. I just have a little bit more information and I can measure things more effectively, but, um, I'm hooked on the drug of the sales revenue increase that I see that comes through. And therefore I'm not willing to really try and build the meaningful moat, which I, which I construed as sort of that relationship based, um, emotional connection with the brand.
0: And in that emotional connection, do you think there's a responsibility for companies to really understand their customers to not just look at behaviours, but actually look at attitudes and research as well? I mean, how much of that was done? With-
1: yeah, I, I do. I think, Ian, I mean, that's a little uh, what I alluded to in the what and why, you know, it's, it's I think we can be very effective at understanding what. We can draw a lot of correlations. We can use artificial intelligence to unearth, you know, interesting connections that exist around how our consumers behave. Um, but we are, as somebody said, when I, when I kind of said, I want to develop a measure for emotional loyalty, I want to understand how to, how to get at that. And I bounced it off a number of, uh, well-known marketing professors and theor- theoreticians, I said a word, uh, and, uh, and basically they came back and said, you won't be able to measure it because emotional loyalty in its own regard, emotions are, are irrational. Um, and so, you know, having said that there are underlying, um, let's say drivers of behavior that I think you can tap into. And so, you know, we spent a fair amount of time not only identifying the clusters and segments that were there but also in turn trying to understand well what is the driver why are they behaving like this what are the components which cause somebody to be more or less loyal or to to come less frequently even though they're buying very deeply when they do come they only come once a month you know and so you you have to get into the behavioral aspects the the things that are driving those behaviors underneath it so that you can then start to talk to the consumer and provide you know the right offers and the right the right communications to them to try and get them to to perform. You know maybe more to what we would ideally have a, a loyal norm to be.
0: I'm definitely coming to the same place on that because it doesn't necessarily need to be points based to do that either. And I think no. that's where the big change in perhaps the last ten years has been in loyalty is a move away from just points to push the buttons to say actually if you're getting loyalty loyalty from customers or if you if if your high value customers are loyal they perhaps don't need an extra reward to do it it's it's working out where your problem is in your base and and and, and targeting your behaviors your your actions to that base but it doesn't necessarily need to be points based anymore
1: No, I, and i think that's in fact there was kind of a a a a strong reaction to points and discounts at one stage and i think still think certain markets skew that way. You know, I mean, um, I look in the US marketplace and the big, big players are, are starting to migrate uh, and have migrated, I should be fair, um, where they're doing a lot more with their data. But many of the loyalty programs that you see, see there are really thinly disguised two-tier pricing schemes. Uh, and, you know, that's that's obviously, in my view, not even, you know, hitting the ground level of what you should be focused on. But, you um, I believe there was a there was a, a reaction at one point which said, "I want to get out of points. This is a this is a drag from a balance sheet standpoint. We've got a liability we've got to fulfill on here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." And so, one direction they went was back to the discount two tier pricing because it's in the moment you don't have to reserve against anything. And the other one was really to begin to explore, as you say um, some of these other things that you can do, which are more experiential or they're more recognitional, or they're more, you know, they, they sort of touch on, especially for exactly the, the top tier of customers. Um, you know, they touch on that relationship, emotional connection, et cetera, that, that individuals might have with a brand and, and sort of deepen those things. I I think the, I don't know how you feel, but I do feel that, the. Gold standard in those areas is really in the hotel and the airline programs. Um, you know, I think they've they've uh, they've had the best opportunity to create those kinds of experiences, and it's sort of in, inherent in the brand experience.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Although I think what we're seeing with with airlines more recently is that this disconnect between what they're trying to do from a loyalty perspective and what they're trying to do from a pricing perspective because there's been a sort of disconnect from that because I still think the value needs to be there for customers too um and and this focus at the perhaps the front end of the plane compared to the back end of the plane you know I still think there's 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 a ways to go on that um yep. but I think that it's coming out of covid now I think people will want to travel and I think it's 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 incumbent on the on the airlines to try and get back to mass travel and I think that mm-hmm. I think they're going to have to consider things other than the drive the straight profit drivers as you said and i think they've got all the abilities to do that it'll be interesting to see what yeah.
1: happens yeah i think that's right i think it's it's for me i look at the levers in the experience and you think you know spent a lot of time with the food retail food food retailers on a global basis and looking at all forms of loyalty and in how they can enhance the experience etc and you know you would make something a suggestion like well. Why don't you man a specialized express lane or something like that? I mean, we used to talk about that early in the career and you get this uh, swift smack on the back of the head and said, we can't ever do that. You know, so they feel very limited by by what they can do now as grocery morphs, as the, you know, the delivery side of that business and and. Fresh prepared, home prepared, home meal replacement sort of grows as an aspect of what they're doing. Um, you start to open up new experiential doors that you can probably, you know, start to work with a bit more from from an overall experience standpoint. So I'm excited for where um, for where they could go. Now we need to see whether there's a there's a real interest in doing that, or whether they're just going to default back to you know what can I do to drive sales this week, and and then the next week as opposed to Who you know? What does my overall customer base look like, and how do I create more people who look like that top tier over time? And what does it take me to get there?
0: Yeah, and I'm excited about the industry in the same way. In that, in that, it's not just loyalty with a big L, as in we need a loyalty program to do that. I think when I'm talking to clients, they're much more open-minded about well, what can we do? You know, what, Mm -hmm. what, what thinking? If we're trying to engage customers and make them more loyal, buy more from us over time we've got much more tools at our discretion now, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. who, who would have known that that if you took, when we started our careers many years ago, you know, if you were going to take on Coca-Cola, you'd say you wanted a product which was more volume, tastes better, and was cheaper. And yet Red Bull is a smaller can, it's more expensive and tastes awful. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, And, and it's because we, we free ourselves from this... Uh, from this ability of saying, actually, you know, we need to consider the data and the wider view of customers and what they want and what the
1: opportunities are. And I think I think within the loyalty industry, we're there now. You've got all the tools to be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, I go back to the food retail side of things when you think about it is, you know, how do you find share? And I think many times what's happened in, in just generally in the industry in general, I think you can draw the same parallel is. Um, you know, share was share of the grocery um, segment. And so then you very narrowly defined your competitor set as effectively, you know, that grocer and that grocer and that grocer. And so there's four of us in the marketplace competing for market share. Well, that's a very narrow view. And I think what, if anything, also, again, through COVID uh, has accelerated, it has to be this view of uh, you need to really think about this as share of stomach, because now it's, You know, you're not, you're in the food retail business, but at the end of the day, you're really in the, in the, you know, satiety, uh, satiation business, if you want, which is, um, which is, could be fulfilled by an Uber Eats or, or, uh, uh, or, you know, Deliveroo bringing something to your door or could be the grocer who has a home meal replacement, or it could be uh, going out to a restaurant. and uh, And I think that that if you broaden the spectrum of who your competitive set is, I think it opens up the creative juices. On oh, wait a second, then how do I how do I compete? And and where is that really coming from? And I think your Red Bull, Coca Cola is a is a is a category scale example of you know of a much bigger issue that that many retailers today are facing, um, and they need to think about. These new avenues no perfect, and then the last one I want to talk about
0: was in in loyalty one you've got uh, a great mix of 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 loyalty capabilities in there, um some of which are long term businesses like um air miles, where the the people are join that coalition with a long term view in mind, but equally mm-hmm. you've got things like brand loyalty from the Netherlands where they're about more short term tactical but loyalty activities, but over a over a shorter period to get a quicker a quicker result and having talked to someone like Steve Hoban, who i 'm sure you know Steve from South Africa and pick and pay mm-hmm. um he's now back in the u k but um you know he was saying that both were successful, both had their right time and 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 he 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 loved what they did with um brand loyalty over time, so how do you see? The, the dynamic of long-term loyalty compared to short-term tactical activities
1: because they're the peas in the same,
0: you know, how, how does it work?
1: Yeah, I, I think that uh, I like to think of them as a, as a parfait glass. It's sort of a mix and match piece, right? And so the in my view, long-term loyalty is, um, it's sort of the table stakes in some ways. You need to have a, a means that connects with customers that you're going to uh, create um, a platform for dialogue. That you're in a you're in an opportunity set where you can you can uh, literally um, you can literally track their behavior and it's sort of this license to say, Ian, if you sign up to my program, you agreed to let me track and and observe what you're doing. We now have a means for, to communicate back and forth. Although most of the time it's one way, obviously with a retailer firing something off in terms of offers and. Uh, and opportunities back to the the customer. So I, that that's that's the baseline. But then there's these other tools and things that come in. And, and let's call it as it is. Not everybody loves points. Not everybody is motivated by the idea of I'm going to accumulate and then eventually I'll get enough of something that I can redeem and get, you know, ten dollars off my next grocery bill or twenty dollars or whatever it is. And they don't buy into it or they're focused on on other other um, uh, loyalty vehicles. And so. Uh, you then turn around and look at the short-term tactical loyalty program base, particularly in high frequency. So I'd say that's uh, effectively grocery and petrol or gas, depending on where you are in the world. And uh, and you look at um, convenience stores. And I think those frequent environments lend themselves very neatly to these uh, bursts. And You know, I used to talk to Robert Vanderwallen who's since gone off and started another company called L Founders. Um, And you talked to Robert when we first got the businesses together, and we kind of laughed because I looked at Robert and he said, I spent my entire life trying to get card-based loyalty out of food retail. And I looked at him and said, yeah, I spent my entire life working with retailers trying to get short-term tactical programs out of it. And what we realized is they're really highly complementary. You know, you actually make... The tactical program more effective when you have a read and you understand who's participating and how their behavior changes when a program is running and in turn the tactical program can be that much richer when you understand the customers and then you can tailor the offering and also tailor the structure for collection around what happens on that front and so you know long-term loyalty the collect and behave it's a great data transformation or um, tra- transfer data opportunity it's fantastic but there's nothing like a short-term program to create in-store theater to connect it very tactically to something that the retailer is looking to send from a messaging or positioning standpoint um, and yes you can do that in card-based loyalty i wouldn't say you can't but it doesn't put the signature sort of oomph behind it that i think that tactical programming does and uh and so i think they will coexist over time i think we will continue to see that and it wouldn't surprise me just like price plays a role right you know, not yeah, everything yeah, goes right. through your card based program you know price there's customers out there who are pure price um, just like your private label own brand own label program plays a critical role it's it's important for that retailer to have all the tools And then, you know, I think it's a little bit of alchemy at that point. Don't you think, Ian? It's sort of like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We need this from this timing. And you you sort of build a marketing calendar on a very informed basis. And then you're constantly measuring and seeing what happens with the customer behavior over time. Um, Back in the direct marketing days, we used to have... You know, this whole argument uh, between predictive modeling and response modeling. Remember that? Sorry, now I feel like I'm a thousand years old. But it's a foundational piece that marketers, when they're working with data, need to understand. Is that you can torture the data. And that old saying, if you torture the data long enough, it can get you to tell you anything. You can get it to tell you anything you want. But you can torture the data and identify who you think will respond and, and and is the best target audience for that. And AI has taken us way down that, that spectrum. And the flip side is you can actually run a little test and you basically say, I think, and you use your intuition and you put something in market to a, to a broad swath of customers and then you see who actually takes it up. And then you model the respondents and say, well, why did these people, why were these the people who really took it on in the greatest way? And I think that, that um, you know, when I talk to um, a number of the of individuals in the marketing community, I think there's a there's a general, and especially with what's happening with the data restrictions and data guidelines, et cetera. I think there's a sense here that we almost need to go back and open up the textbooks that we had back in the direct database days, um, mm-hmm. so back in the time tunnel when loyalty was first evo- uh, evolving, just to just to build that discipline back up, right? And and um, now i'm going to feel like i'm i'm very old uh, but the challenge with digital is that i think you can get you can get lazy in the approach and i'm not saying everybody uses digital marketing is lazy but you know what i mean the cost has come down so dramatically it used to cost us serious money to reach out to 100,000 customers you know it was a, it was you had to do your data pulls and and work all the magic and then you literally had to put a bloody stamp on it and put it out in the mail right in order to communicate well now that we have brought all the barriers down the cost down you know you can get a return on investment on just about anything you do and and so does that mean just because because you get a return because you just fling enough stuff at the wall and,
0: and, and 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 you hope that something sticks um Whereas I'm actually I'm increasingly seeing direct mail come back through my door again from loyalty companies. So, pets at home in the UK are very good at sending stuff out. And and I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that discipline gets your means that your IT department need to absolutely or your insight department absolutely need to understand segmentation. Absolutely yeah. need to know who they're targeting what at who, because um, because the because the, uh, the, res- the response is going to depend on it being relevant. Um, yeah. Whereas I think you're right. I think there's there's a large number of companies that are addicted to throwing lots of stuff at a wall and hoping that it sticks. In fact, they are addicted to it because if you turn the volume down,
1: the response rate goes down because they're not good right. at targeting it. <laughs> right. And, and you know, I just want to come back to the mailbox as as something which is uh, uh, I felt that way for years, Ian. And it's interesting that you're seeing that start to percolate back back into the system in the U.K., Um, you know, it's become such a dearth of anything really at the end of the day, uh, that it's completely differentiated. It's a, it's a medium, which is completely different. And I go back, I think eight to 10 years and we were having our colloquy conference at that time. And we had, uh, it was just after Starbucks launched the program. So it may be a bit longer than that. I remember doing the, the onstage chit chat afterwards with her. And I said, okay, well, what's tell me one campaign you've run, and this was you know, it's digital. It's all, you know, it was all about it being very digital and very, very non-paper oriented and everything else. And I said to her, you know, give me an example of a program that really surprised you that you ran, that you'd share with the with the audience. And she said, oh yeah, we ran this postcard where we mailed something to the customers and it was our highest response rate of all the programs that we'd actually operated. I just kind of took a step back and I went, right. Well, you know, what's the insight there? And, you know, I think, I think we're, uh, I would certainly counsel uh people to be to be in exploring that a little bit i think I think there's a nascent opportunity or, or an opportunity where everything old is new again and and perhaps the mailbox is a rich rich source of something that that people can tap into
0: and especially in this day and age where um, marketing is especially marketing directors still like to see a bump in the road and I think mm-hmm. if you get very very good at personalized marketing the, you never see a bump in the road because it becomes business as usual yeah you know and, and so Having a good DM that may work is exactly as she said. You'll see a bump in the road, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, especially if it's well-targeted. Well, I think that's just all about what we've got time for tonight. So I'd just like to say thank you very much, Brian. We could have, as with all these conversations, I think we could have gone on for hours. And uh, that's always a, always a sign of a good conversation. So thank you ever so much for coming on to the podcast.
1: Ian, my pleasure. You tapped into one of my favorite topics for obvious reasons. So I uh, appreciate the chance to uh, expound a little and maybe maybe retread a little bit over some old territory but it was uh, it was a great conversation thank you well thank you and if you like this podcast please like
0: share and comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag law to podcast and we look forward to your company again soon so thank you for listening and goodbye.